أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن لا إله إلا الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله أشهد أن محمد رسول الله حي على صلاة حي على صلاة السلام <تصفيق> سيدنا ونبينا وحبيبنا وحبيب ربنا وطبيبنا ومولانا محمد عبد الله ورسوله respected elders and brothers in islam allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us yet another jumuah to celebrate and while it is the ninth day of muharram in south africa and other parts of the world it is the day of ashura in some parts of the world as well. It is the 10th of Muharram in certain parts of the world. Now before we begin the report back as has been advertised, the recent, just a clarification regarding the fast of Muharram. Many queries are received. Can a person fast only on the day of Ashura? Or does he have to fast in the 9th and 10th or 10th and 11th? Rasulullah wasallam is reported to have said, that if I'm living next year, if I'm living next year and he did not live to the following year, then I will fast two days. I will combine the day of Ashura, the fast of Ashura, with the day before or the day after. So that is recommended that if we are fasting on the day of Ashura, that we need to either join it with the day before or the day after. The reason for this is to make mukhalafat 
and to go against the practice of the Yahud who used to fast at the time of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. However, in this day and age, the Yahud do not fast anymore and no other, no other religions besides the deen of Islam fast on the day of Ashura. So ulama have given permissibility that if a person can't manage fasting for two days, then at least one day, the day of Ashura only, he can fast. While some ulama say it is makroi tanzihi, it's not recommended, however it is permissible. So if a person doesn't have the strength to fast for two days, then a person can fast for one day. And many of our kabirin have written so as well. This is the clarification as an encouragement for those people who find it difficult to fast, nawafil fast, etc., that they can fast also only on the day of Ashura, even though recommended to fast for two days. Now, Now regarding the report back from our recent relief project, in Turkey and in Syria. It's been 11 years that I've been saying the same thing. It's been 11 long years that I've been reporting at the time of Jumu'ah and on other occasions what has been going on in this Mubarak land of Sham. It's sad indeed that 11 long years and the same thing year in and year out. Many of you may be familiar with what I'm going to say because it's not, it's no different from the previous years, I've been speaking about a report back from the Mubarak land of Sham. Now we can see what's happening globally, nationally. We can see that we are heralding at a roller coaster pace towards Yomul Qiyamah, towards the hour. The signs that Rasulullah has explained to us, we are seeing the manifestation of those signs. Day in, every day we are seeing those signs being manifested in front of our eyes. We can see that the news is being strangled around not only the Muslim ummah, but even humanity. We can see the economic policies that are being put in place. We have passed that COVID agenda that had played out and how people got sucked in and how they got beguiled by the COVID agenda, which was just an economic reset. And intelligent, educated people also got carried away. In all this sincerity, they got carried away. And there were some who could see through the, the maze. They could see through the agenda, what the agenda was all about. And today we are seeing the effects of those vaccines, the, the horrendous effects of those vaccines and the side effects. We are seeing it today, what a minority we're speaking out against. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows each of our intentions, what's in our hearts, and our sincerity is known to Him alone. Now, speaking about Syria, one cannot speak about these conditions in Syria without speaking of it holistically as to what is happening in the region. Now, we know from 2011 that the Arab Spring had taken root in Tunisia and the winds of change went through the Arab world and there were some great changes. One was the government of Egypt had fallen, Tunisian government had changed. And in Syria there was an uprising also, by the youth in particular. And this led to an all-out civil war between the people who wanted independence, who were fighting for the sake of Allah, who were speaking out for the sake of Allah, for their homeland and the independence. And today what we see is a very, very precarious situation, a very sad situation indeed. Syria, the entire Syria falls within the land of Sham, the Mubarak land of Sham. It's Yawmul Mahshar, it's the land of Hashar, where people on the day of Qiyamah will take place on the land of Sham. 
It's a blessed land. Rasulullah made dua for the land of Sham, the people of Sham. Many, many sahaba kiram, ridwanullahi alayhim ajma'een, migrated to Sham. They lie buried in the lands, of, in, in, the, in the ground of Sham. Fortunate indeed is Sham to have them. And they are indeed fortunate to be buried in the land of Sham. The land of Sham is the only place that Rasulullah went out of the Arabian Peninsula. He traveled to no other place in his lifetime besides the land of Sham. One is when he went on business missions to the land of Sham, and one is when he went on the Mi'raj, and that was the land of Sham as well. So this we can understand, the Mubarak land of Sham. Now over the years we have seen, the last 11 years we have been going there annually and sometimes more than that as well, the conditions haven't really changed. We see people living in tented cities, in tented cities. People living in all kinds of accommodation. And when we travel through these lands, then we make shukar for what we have here. We make shukar for our situation, despite all the difficulties we are having here. The fact that our whole municipality is collapsed already, collapsing throughout the country. That there are no clean municipalities left in South Africa, hardly any, if any. We can see the breakdown of law and order in our country. Total breakdown of everything. But despite all that, we make shukar when we see the conditions in the land of Sham. That there are children who know no other life besides growing up in a tent. When you speak to engage with a little child, the child knows nothing else. While you may feel sorry for that child, the child is not feeling sorry for himself or herself. Because the child knows no other life besides growing up in a tent. And like that, a whole generation now, for the last 11, 12 years, has been born and growing up in tents. And perhaps they will be living there for many years to come. So you, as you go through, now what has compounded the difficulty of an existing problem and an existing catastrophe is the earthquake that took place about six months ago. We know how severe this earthquake was, that it spread across nine cities on the 6th of February, 150,000 people passed away in this earthquake. Over 100,000 were injured in the earthquake. This compounded the already existing problem of the refugees that had overflow of refugees from within Syria into the land of Turkey, especially on the southern border of Turkey. Where most of these cities, border cities now, the demographics have changed. The Turkish population has been overtaken by the Syrian population. Most of these cities. And while one drives through, it's eerie. One drives through a, a biblical city like Antakya, which is within Turkey, which is part of Sham. The city we had frequently visited, stayed in, used it as a base for our relief work. And when one drives, we drove through the city in February this year, and you just see broken down buildings. To try to explain... To, and for one to comprehend, try to imagine the city of Durban. Just try to imagine the CBD, the high-rise buildings, the marine parade. And just imagine that as you're driving through, there's nobody there. It's, it's empty. It's absolutely empty. All one sees is broken down buildings. Some buildings skew. Some just standing very, very treacherously. They're standing uh, in a very difficult situation. Some buildings broken down partially, completely. One just sees mounds of rubble as one drives through. One looks up sometimes at a high-rise building, 15 stories, 10 stories. You see the curtains flying out of that building. 
in between that whole building, you see a washing machine there, you see a refrigerator standing where once people lived and where once people enjoyed normal society. And the tables just turn today where landlords and tenants live in tents. Landlords and I, I was looking at a building, a building that's suspended about a four-story building and a man runs up to me and he tells me, that's my building. That was his building. He's just hanging like on, on steel, threads. He said, that was my building. He lost everything. He's living in a tent next to that building. Like that, when one drives through certain cities, it's eerie. There's nothing there. There's no sign of civilization. Those cities are now deserted. Imagine the city of Durban is deserted. There's nobody there. So this is the reality that one will see in many, many cities. Then demolition is taking place, but obviously it can't take place at a rapid pace. 244,000 buildings were destroyed or condemned. 244,000 buildings. Can we understand the magnitude of this figure? I'm talking about Turkey, leave alone Syria. 244,000 buildings were just destroyed and uninhabitable. You see high-rise buildings and where people have nowhere to go, you just see tents and tents and tents. People living in tents. Turkish, I'm not talking about Syrians here. Turkish citizens living in tents who once owned beautiful homes, beautiful businesses, successful societies. And overnight, the situation has turned the tables around that they are now in the same situation as the refugees which they hosted in their cities. So this is the condition. And it's for us to take Ibra. One is to just speak about what we are doing. And if one goes into Syria, current day Syria, the Muslims are concentrated or the largest number of internally displaced people are in northwestern Syria in a province called Idlib, a large province called Idlib. It's basically divided into two portions. One is a Turkish protectorate on the northern side called Afrin. It's, an, it's, it's well under Turkish protection. Not because the Turks are so interested perhaps in the Syrian refugees, but the Turks are more interested about their territorial protection from the Kurds, who are Sunni Muslims. So it's a buffer zone between them and the Kurds, who want an independent homeland. And on the southern side, on the southern side is where the foreign Mujahideen, or freedom fighters if you want to call them, that's where they are located. And they have put up a valiant defense, had it not been for them. This whole area would have been taken over by the oppressive Assad government. And these people would have been butchered to that. So we, we applaud them that Alhamdulillah Allah gave them the tawfiq and mujahidun from throughout the world have come in there. From all over, including the United States. They live there. They can't come out of there. They're stuck there now. And they fought for the liberation of this province just to protect the four million odd Sunni Muslims now who are living in this province. And when we say living, there's no running water. That's how we will understand. There's no infrastructure. And while there is electricity that comes in from Turkey, there's no load shedding fortunately. But there's no running water. And this is how they live. The economy is picking up, it's building, alhamdulillah. There are many NGOs, many organizations that are doing sterling work from across the world. Muslim and non-Muslim. They do work there, medics who offer their services, doctors without borders, volunteers from Turkey, Turkish doctors who come in regularly, who offer their services, orthopedic surgeons using prosthetics for those people who have been injured. But it's a catastrophe beyond measure. It's a Syria as we know, current day Syria had a population of 20 million people. And today, 
12 million people of that 20 million people are internally displaced people. Either they're refugees or internally displaced within Syria. This is the condition. So let us draw some ibarah. First of all, we need to understand what is happening. Unfortunately, we have become so indifferent to the suffering of Muslims and, and humanity throughout the world. Few of us understand what is happening there. Few of us even want to know what's happening there. We have absolutely no interest in what's happening there. But the least we can do. How many of us, as a benchmark, how many of us in the last 24 hours, we picked up our hands and we cried before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the state of the suffering ummah. This is the barometer of iman. This is a yardstick of and a benchmark of our iman. That the Muslims are one brotherhood. إِنَّمَا الْمُؤْمِنُونَ إِخْوَةً We all know the ayat. In Surah Hujurat, The Muslims are one brotherhood. Brotherhood is not part of our faith and iman. It's from our faith. It's from our iman. Brotherhood. The sense of ukhuwa that Nabi Wasallam established and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has, has ordered us the sense of brother, brotherhood in the ummah that what happens in one part of the world affects me here, in the southern part of Africa. That we feel that empathy and that sympathy, and our heart goes out to those people. It's not that they're suffering in some other part of the world, and I don't know who they are, and it doesn't affect my life in any way. It affects each and every one of us. We will be questioned about this. That you are one brotherhood, al-Muslimuna, karajulun wahid. Nabi Wasallam said that the Muslims are like one body, like one man, like one man they are. That if one part of this body is suffering, the eyes are in distress, the whole body feels a distress. That if the head is in distress, the whole body feels that distress. And each and every one of us can do something within our capacities. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will not question us, why did you not go there and offer your help and do some work there? No, each one of us within our capacities. We will only be questioned about what's within our, not what's beyond our capacities. But the least we all can do is feel that empathy and sympathy. The least we all, we can do is educate ourselves. The least we can do is contribute. If Allah has given us the means. And the least we can do is make dua. Making dua doesn't cost anything. Making dua is the benchmark of iman. That I care for my Muslim brother. Wherever he is in Africa, in Asia, in Europe, in Australia, wherever he is, he is my Muslim brother. I have been joined to him by the nisbat of the Holy Quran. I have been joined to him by the nisbat of the same kalima we recite, La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah. I have been joined to him. Whether I know him, I do not know him. This ukhuwa we see in our deen, we understand it from our daily practices. Salatul Jumu'ah has to be read as a brotherhood. Salatul Jumu'ah cannot be read alone, cannot be read in isolation. It has to be read as a jama'ah. And we know the reward of salat ma'al jama'ah. Hajj has to be made collectively in a given time and in a given place. The institution of zakah is to empower those who are not as fortunate as we may be. For those who are fortunate to empower the less fortunate. Fasting, we all fast at the same time in the year. At the same given time in the month of Ramadan. That's when we all fast. This is the sense of ukhuwa in the ummah. And we need to bring about this this love for the Muslim ummah in our hearts. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa said in one hadith reported in Bukhari Sharif that you will not 
enter Jannah till you do not bring Iman. You will not enter Jannah till you do not bring Iman. Hatta tu'minu till you don't bring Iman. You will not enter Jannah. And you will not believe. You will not believe till you love each other. You will not believe till you love each other. Your Muslim brother. Till then you will not bring Iman. Complete Iman. And then Nabi Wasallam says, Can I show you a way? Can I show you a way? How you can bring love? For your Muslim brother. Spread the salam among you. Salam here, one is lutsul. To greet somebody. To offer your salam. And one is the higher objective. To bring about peace in the community. To bring about goodwill in the community. To bring about peaceful coexistence in the community. To be fair. To be just. To be honest. These are the prerequisites of spreading the salam in the community. And today if we look at our condition. Just introspect within us. That do we really have that love and that ukhuwa and that mahabba for each other? One person was telling me, lamenting, he says, my brother's son lives next door to me. Elderly person telling me this. My brother's son, my nephew hasn't seen. Can you believe it? That we live in such isolation. And this is not something strange anymore. That we live in such isolation. We have, we, we have lost the human touch. We have lost that humanity within us. We have lost that ukhuwa within us. The Zulus call it Ubuntu, that nation building. That's what they call it. We call it ukhuwa, that brotherhood. We've lost the plot. Look at the disunity and the fragmentation in our communities, in families, in marriages, between parents and children, children and parents, brothers and brothers. We fight over inheritance because we refuse to follow the law of Allah. Our business partnerships are a mess. We can't, we can't dissolve partnerships. It goes on for decades. We can't dissolve our partnerships amicably. We can't sit around the table. We can't see each other. We can't greet each other. If my brother walks there, I have to walk the other direction. I want to avoid him. This is our state. And if what is happening in Syria and in what has happened in Turkey and just this week there were three more earthquakes in the same region in Adana. In the very same region, there were three more earthquakes. Fortunately, there was no substantial damage. But these are lessons for us. That we need to get our act in order. We need to become brothers. Become brothers. Become brothers. Live like brothers. Deal like strangers. Live like brothers. Deal like strangers. If a father and son has to be in a partnership, have a written agreement and a contract in black and white. A brother and a brother have a written agreement in black and white. There's safety in that. The longest ayat of the Quran Sharif deals with that. Write your contracts down. Ya amanu ila ajalin Write it down. So live like brothers, deal like strangers. The lessons we can time is up. The lessons we can draw is that what has happened there, we're not immune from. We are not immune. Nobody has given us amnesty from that. Those challenges can visit us in this country. We have enough challenges as we we are currently. We have enough challenges. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us the tawfiq to understand our mission and purpose in life. Our mission and purpose in life is not the accumulation of wealth. Wealth that we just leave behind and we go on. We have a higher purpose in life. Yes, we have to do that. We have to trade. We have to become wealthy. All that is in place. But we have a higher purpose in life. 
We have to bring about that ukhuwa and that unity in the Muslim Ummah. Look at the fragmentation in the Muslim Ummah. Who, who did Allah say that wa'tasimu bihablillahi jami'a wa la tafarraku? That hold firmly onto the rope of Allah. Do not become divided. Do not bring about this unity. Who did Allah address that to? If not to the believers. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala give us tawfiq. There's so much more to share but time is up. And it's an amanat that we stick to the time. وَأَقِرُوا دَعْوَانَا عَنِ الْحَمْدُ لِلَّهِ رَبِّنَا